G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Imagine that you'd watched Jesus die that horrible death on the cross. And then on the third day, you go to his tomb and discover that it's empty. What would you think? How would you react? Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today, as we head into this final message in this series called Who is Jesus? I want to tarry for a while longer in the Easter story as we go back to that time of the incredible resurrection morning. So let's head into God's Word and please stay tuned because in just a few minutes I'll be telling you about our free daily devotional fresh that I'd love to send you to help you draw ever closer to Jesus and live in the victory that he died and rose again to give you. I'm excited. This is the last week in a four-week series that I've called Who is Jesus? And over these last few weeks, we've just been looking at little snapshots of who Jesus is from the different Gospels, from Mark and from John and Matthew and Luke. And today, of course, we're going to talk about the empty tomb. And maybe you've been having a long weekend because it's Easter, but 2,000 years ago, it wasn't some long weekend they were celebrating in Jerusalem. It, it was a brutal crucifixion, a burial, and then, then something that nobody would have expected. Imagine you have a friend or a relative who just died, they're tragically killed, you've watched them die, you go to the funeral, you see them buried, and you get what you think is closure. Closure is one thing, but the mourning process goes on. And then, three days later, you go down to the grave to leave some flowers to reflect on the life that was so tragically taken. And the grave's been dug up. The coffin is up on the ground, the lid's off, and it's empty. What would you feel? What would you do? A friend of mine was interviewing Barry Maguire for a radio program in New Zealand recently. Now, Barry Maguire is a well-known rock protest singer from the 1960s. And over a period of 10 years or so, he lost more than 20 of his closest friends to drug overdoses and sexually transmitted diseases. You know, these were TV and movie stars and politicians who committed suicide. They were personalities of such promise, and yet they turned out not to be what they promised. Marilyn Monroe, Michael Hutchins of In Excess. These were fallen stars. See, people had placed their hope in these stars, and then... They failed to deliver. And Jesus must have looked the same. And he, he had rock star status. The crowds followed him everywhere. He was very definitely Jesus Christ's superstar. And over the last three weeks, we've been looking at who this Jesus is. And we've seen how he's healed people. And, and people flocked to him to see his miracles and to hear his preaching. Jesus had this wisdom that, that confounded the religious critics. I mean, they tried to trap him, and yet he cared for the widows and the prostitutes, and he did these amazing miracles of healing lepers and the blind and the lame. He was passionate. He was profound. 
He had a wisdom about God, yet he was so relevant. He touched people deep inside. And, and so these huge crowds... Jesus held out so much promise. I mean, here we were in the first century in Israel. It was an oppressed land. It was occupied by the Romans. Most of these people were subsistence farmers. They were poor. They needed someone to believe in, someone to hope in. And that someone looked like it was Jesus. And yet the events of that first Easter long weekend, you know, the Passover festival, the crowds in Jerusalem, and then... The unexpected, the lynching, the mob baying for Jesus' blood. They, they cried out, we want Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And, and this hope, this Jesus who was a miracle worker and, and such a powerful preacher, the hope turned into despair. Jesus was crucified on a cross and he was buried. And he was buried just before the Sabbath. And so on the Sabbath, people couldn't do anything. But on the day after the Sabbath, they went down to his grave because he needed to be embalmed. They didn't have any, any funeral parlours in those days or an undertaker, so this just had to be done. Let's have a listen to the story. Let's pick it up. If you have a Bible, open it up in John chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, They've taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb, and the two were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He too saw the linen wrappings just lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. For as yet they didn't understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. The first reaction of Mary was to run back to Peter and the others and say, they've taken his body out of the tomb. And Peter and the other disciple run down there, and sure enough, the stone's been rolled away, the linen wrappings are lying there, folded neatly. They saw and they believed. You see, Jesus had been telling them he would rise from the dead. Now, now you read on, and they had a mix of pain and fear and tears and hope and confusion, but there it was, a glimmer of hope. Th th these next few weeks would show something different. I mean, they'd seen Jesus killed, and yet they had hope. They had hope before. They hoped in Jesus and, and it was lost on the cross. And now here was this empty tomb. No Jesus. Hope. We can casually brush over this Easter story dozens of times, lots of times during our lives and miss out what was going on in the hearts of his followers. These were people who'd lost hope and now they discovered new hope. Many years later, the Apostle Peter wrote these words. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. He writes this in, in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, Peter writes, looking back on this, that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has given us a new birth into a living hope. A hope that we can have here and now. A hope 
that is eternal, a hope of glory and joy and peace, a hope of an eternal life of no tears and no pain forever and ever. That hope began on that first Easter morning when the disciples went down to the tomb and they discovered that it was empty. I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. As we take this short break, I'd like to tell you about a free daily resource that I'd love to send you to help you draw closer to God. It's called Fresh, a short daily devotional, a powerful scripture verse together with some words of inspiration, hope and encouragement delivered right to the inbox on your smartphone, tablet or computer each and every day. Or if you prefer, you can now receive a printed version delivered right to your letterbox. It's completely free. To get instant access either to the digital or the printed version of Fresh, stop by our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com, and you'll see the Fresh e-devotional sign-up right there at the top of our homepage. Or if you prefer, give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415 to request the printed Fresh devotional. It's completely up to you. Again, online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1-300-722-415. So go ahead, sign up to receive Fresh and may your heart be touched and transformed as you draw ever closer to Jesus through His Word. Now, it's easy to forget, isn't it, that the players on that resurrection morning weren't actors reading scripts. They were real people suffering real trauma, dealing with a real dilemma. Perhaps that goes a way to explaining how one of them could have mistaken the risen Christ for the local gardener. I I hope that you're having a great Easter and that you've had a great Easter but we do, we, we brush the Easter celebration aside so quickly each year. A day or two later, we've forgotten all about it, but it wasn't like that on the first Easter. This brutal crucifixion, the pain, the mourning, the fear. They'd lost someone who promised so much. They'd lost hope. And then, on the day after the Sabbath, when a few of his followers went down to the tomb, they discovered it was empty. He was gone. There was confusion, there was hope, there was despair, there was fear. Maybe? No, surely not. Was there hope? Had he risen? He always said he would, but couldn't. Some found it easier to come to grips with than others, but Mary, Mary Magdalene, was the woman who first saw the empty tomb, and she couldn't come to grips with it. She thought someone had taken his body away. And then she talked to the local gardener. I hope you've been with us over these last few weeks as we've been looking at who this Jesus actually is, what he said and what he did, and and as we've looked at in these last couple of weeks, what happened leading up to his crucifixion and now what's happening after his crucifixion. If you missed any of the programs, you can listen to them again at our website, ChristianityWorks.com. Mary Magdalene was a devoted follower of Jesus. She's the first one down to the empty tomb, and her immediate reaction is the one that sticks out. They've taken his body. Who's they? The Romans? The religious leaders? Other followers? Don't know. But it's not an unreasonable reaction. In fact, it's the most plausible reaction. And we're going to read on in John chapter 20, beginning now at verse 11. Why don't you join me as we read this? So Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, 
she knelt to look into the tomb and she saw these two angels sitting there, dressed in white, one at the head, the other at the foot where Jesus' body had been laid. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? See, there's this this supernatural intervention going on. And Mary says, they took my master. I don't know where they put him. After she said this, she turned away and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. That's not a surprise. She wasn't expecting to see him alive. And Jesus spoke to her and said, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? And she she thought he was the gardener. And she said, Mister, if you took him, tell me where you put him so I can care for him. And and then Jesus said, Mary. Turning to face him, she said in Hebrew, Rapuni, meaning teacher. Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I haven't ascended to the Father. Go to my brothers and tell them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went, telling the news to the disciples, I've seen him, I've seen the Master. And she told them everything that he said to her. See, Mary was locked in the reality of her grief. And isn't that so often the way we're locked in the here and now, the physical circumstances, the the pain or just the, the plain old life that we live in. We're locked into our reality. And we brush by Easter and we barely notice that something profound has happened. We barely notice that Jesus has risen from the dead. Mary looked with her own eyes at Jesus and what she saw was the gardener. Listen, mister, she said. I think that's really funny. It always makes me smile. Can you imagine? The Son of God has just risen. And Mary looks at him and thinks, he's the gardener. In the same way, we can look at Easter and see chocolate and Easter bunnies and, and, and all that stuff. That's such a tragedy. But then you see, then he spoke her name. He said, Mary. There's something special about someone who knows our name someone in whom we can hope, someone in whom we can trust. And then she knew it was him. He was alive. Instantly, her grief turned to joy. Instantly, her hope was restored. Instantly, she knew she need never have lost hope at all. See, the disciples, Peter and the others, believed first. And then they went back to their lodgings. But Jesus knew her grief. He lingered there waiting for her. She was the first one to see him alive and yet she didn't know it. And then he spoke her name. Have you ever brushed past Easter? Have you missed what's happened? Have you ever been so locked in the present circumstances of your life that you can't take in that Jesus rose again for you? Today, today he's speaking your name. Today, he's whispering hope into your heart. Today, if you lost hope, he wants to bring that back to you again. The master's speaking your name. Can you hear him? Listen, deep inside, listen. Jesus wants to give you a new hope, a new start, a new life. The gardener is one explanation. But when we believe When we truly believe he rose again, we know the joy of the Jesus who waited there for Mary. I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. 
I just want to take a moment during this short break to share something truly important with you. To celebrate Easter this year, I've written a new life application booklet called Who is Jesus? to help you draw ever closer to your Lord and your Saviour. You see, my passion is seeing you live in a rich, powerful, dynamic relationship with Him. That's why I'd love to send you your very own free copy of this latest booklet. It's full of life-changing, practical Bible teaching to help you draw even closer to Jesus. And at the end of each chapter, you'll find some life application questions to help you kind of think through and apply God's Word right into the realities of your life. So to request your copy, stop by our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com, or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415, and we'll send your free booklet straight out to you in the post. But this is the very last week that this particular booklet will be available, so don't miss out. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com, or toll-free on 1-300-722-415. As this series draws to a close, there's one more truly important thing that I need to share with you. So let's dive back into God's Word to discover what that is. Well, Jesus is risen, and here we are almost at the end of this four-part series called Who is Jesus? And we've been just asking and exploring this question, exactly who is Jesus? What I thought would be great is to finish up this series by having a look at at one of his last promises. For me, there's nothing worse than when someone makes a promise and then they fail to keep it. It's really lousy. Now, Jesus made quite a number of promises in his three and a half years of public ministry. But this one, this was a parting promise. He said it was also his father's promise, and it was a promise that ended up changing the course of human history. What was it? Did he keep it? What happened? In human terms, promises are wonderful things. You look at the promise of marriage. Now, there are two types of promises or covenants that we can make, or treaties, if you like. There are unilateral promises and bilateral promises. A unilateral promise is an unconditional one, no strings attached, and a bilateral promise is a conditional promise. I'll do this if you do that, but if you don't do that, then I'll do this. These are the vows that I shared with my wife, Jackie, on the day that we were married. Just have a listen to this this promise and this vow. Jackie, today I take you to be my wife, and I set myself apart from the rest of the world for you and you alone. Everything that I am and everything that I have, I give to you. In the heights of our joy and in the depths of our sorrow, I promise to be by your side, to hold you, to encourage you, to honour you, to cherish you and to protect you. It is my solemn promise to you that I will always seek to love you just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. All of these things are yours until we're parted in death. Now, I just talked a little bit before about a unilateral promise, which is an unconditional promise, and a bilateral promise, which is a conditional promise. So these wedding vows, which one? Is it unilateral, unconditional, or bilateral? See, we think of wedding vows often as being bilateral. You know, two parties make a vow to each other, but actually, whenever you read or hear a wedding vow, it is an unconditional promise. There is nothing in the promise that I made to my wife, Jackie, or in the promise that she made to me, which depends on what the other party does. Nothing in what I read you says, well, 
my darling wife, if you love me and you're good to me, then I'll be faithful to you. But if you're not, I won't be. No, that's not what I said. I gave her an unconditional promise of relationship. No matter what you do, this is what I will do for you. Anyone who's married will know it's tough some days, and on those days, love is a decision. Marriage is a great promise. It says, when you fail, I won't attack you, I won't reject you. No, no, I'll stick by you, I'll hold you, I'll cherish you, I'll lift you up. When one of us is down, the other one can lift the other up. That's the beauty of an unconditional promise. And in a sense, it's kind of the same thing, this final promise that Jesus made to his disciples. If you've got a Bible, open it up at Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. This is what it says. After his death... He presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father promised. The promise you heard from me, John baptized you with water, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit and soon. When they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Is it the time? And he told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. These were his last words. As they watched, he was taken up and disappeared in a cloud. They stood there staring into the empty sky, and suddenly... Two men appeared in white robes. They said, you Galileans, why do you just stand there looking up at an empty sky? This very Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come as certainly and mysteriously as he left. See, they didn't get it. They were still thinking this Messiah is going to come and save Israel from the Romans. When are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is now the time? They still didn't get it after three and a half years with Jesus. After seeing him crucified and resurrected, they still didn't get it. But Jesus, Jesus wasn't promising them release from the Romans. Jesus was promising them something much better. What you'll get is the promise of the Father. You'll get the promised Holy Spirit. John baptized you in water, but not too long from now, I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. These were his last words. See, when a husband and wife promise each other something, they become one flesh. And here, Jesus promised an intimacy. He promised the Holy Spirit. He said, you'll be baptized. You'll be drenched. You'll be dunked. You'll be dripping. You know when you have like a crumpet and you put some butter and honey on it and it's soaking in this sweet honey? That's what the word baptized means. You will be drenched with the Spirit of God. That is the promise of of Jesus to each person who puts their faith in him. Isn't that an awesome promise? And it's like it's like the marriage promise. It's not a conditional promise anymore. This is the new covenant, the new promise. This is what Jesus died and rose again to give us. And it's open to every person who believes that Jesus Christ died for them on the cross and that he rose again for them to give them a new and eternal life. This promise is open to each one of us. A promise of an intimate relationship. And if you read on in Acts chapter 22, you'll read about the day of Pentecost, the day that God indeed poured his Holy Spirit out 
on everyone who believed. That's exactly what happened. What does that mean? Well, for the disciples, these bumpkins, these these fishermen and tax collectors, God filled them with a power and a strength and a wisdom and a godliness to go out and kick off this thing called church. And it's still going today, 2,000 years later. God empowered them amazingly. For me, can I tell you, God has filled me with a power and a strength and a wisdom and a, and a desire and a passion and a closeness and an intimacy to him that makes me want to do exactly what I'm doing now, to tell you about Jesus. We need never be alone. And can I ask you, what about you? Have you accepted this Jesus yet? Have you received the promised Holy Spirit yet? The spirit of intimacy and closeness, the presence of God dwelling in you? See, this is who Jesus is. This is what he did. He said, I will come and make my home with you. He wants to be with us every step of the way. One of his other promises just before he ascended to heaven was, I will never leave you or forsake you. Who is Jesus? Healer, teacher, friend, Lord, saviour, wise, kind, powerful, humble, creator. Everything he is. Everything God is. He wants to baptise us with. He wants to, to drench us with his presence. What a saviour. What a promise. Jesus. That's pretty much all we have time for today. But before I go, there's something very important that I need to share with you. This program, Christianity Works, is encouraging so many people in over 160 countries to live in a rich, powerful and dynamic relationship with Jesus. But that's only possible through the generous support of friends like you. And indeed, each dollar that you give towards the Ministry of Christianity Work today will help reach almost 3,000 people with a gospel message. So a gift of, say, $35 can touch over 100,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. So let me encourage you to give a generous tax-deductible gift to Christianity Works today. You can do that right now, securely online, by visiting our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com, or by calling 1-300-722-415. And when you do get in touch, please don't forget to request your free copy of that life application booklet that I mentioned earlier. It's called Who is Jesus? Again, it's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Thank you so much for your generous support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond. I'll catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace, and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ.
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.